And uh, we got a great team, staff, elders, uh, many of you in so many leadership positions. And it's great to just to do life with you guys. So um, if you haven't uh, been paying attention, happy Easter. Uh, I just want to mention that. Uh, has anybody tried to make any April Fool's Day Easter jokes? Uh, kind of trying to combine those two? Yeah, how's that working for you? Yeah, no, no, he's, he's like, oh, I raised my hand and he actually pointed me out, sorry. Um, no, I, um, you know, I've been a part of some April Fool's jokes and, and all of that, but I remember I remember uh, calling my wife on April Fool's Day, 2003. Uh, we had been married just a couple of years. Our son was less than a year old at the time. And Beth and Jack were vacationing in Florida with her grandparents. And I was back at home in St. Louis working. And um, so I called her on April Fool's Day to say, hey, I just bought a new car. I just bought a Mini Cooper. And she wasn't, uh, she didn't know if it was like, April Fool's joke or if I was being serious, she came home in a few days and realized um, that I really had bought a Mini Cooper on, uh, on April 1st. Now, when, when I tell people that I drove a Mini Cooper, usually the first question they ask is, do you fit in a Mini Cooper? And uh, not at all a problem, just fold in half and, uh, um, and then open the sunroof and stick your head out that way. Uh, so I could fit into a Mini Cooper, but, but here's the deal. I loved not just the car, but the culture. There was like a subculture of people that owned Mini Coopers, especially back then. Maybe it, it still is today. But there were so many ways that you could kind of fit into the subculture. And so I, I bought in. I was, I was all in. I, I bought Mini Cooper hats and Mini Cooper pens and Mini Cooper journals and Mini Cooper keychains and a license plate frame. I bought a replica of a Mini Cooper to sit on my desk, and it was actually life-size. And um, <laughs> I... <laughs> Um, I bought a t-shirt. I bought a Mini Cooper t-shirt. Now, what was kind of funny was it didn't say Mini Cooper on it. It just said Mini. <laughs> so so it, was, it was Mini Me walking around, I guess. But, um, and then there's a, there's a great opportunity that happened just later on that same summer. I got a special invitation in the mail for a sneak preview to the Italian Job movie. I don't know how many of you saw the Italian Job. It had several big name actors and actresses, but it starred the Mini Cooper. There was a high in particular that they could only pull off because of the nimble abilities of the Mini Cooper. And I was, uh, as a Mini Cooper owner, I was invited to this special rally that was going to take place at the dealership, and then we were all going to go to the theater together. And so I met up with over 100 other Mini Cooper owners at this dealership in St. Louis, and then uh, we, we went to the, the movie theater, but we didn't just like drive there, it was a race. I mean, it was crazy. And we had our own designated parking area that smelled like burned rubber. And uh, then we, we go in and it's just us as Mini Cooper owners in the, in the movie theater. And as soon as the first Mini Cooper comes up on the screen, the place just erupts and everybody's cheering and clapping. And I'm joined in with all this thinking, well, this is a little strange. It's just a car. But anyway, <laughs> but honestly, there was something about it just in that moment where I was like, I really fit in. You know, I don't, I don't really know these people that well. They don't know me, but I just... It's just, it's a good feeling to fit in. You ever, you know what I'm talking about? It's really good when you fit in. But have you noticed that it's, the opposite is terrible when you no longer feel like you fit in? I guess the opposite of fitting in would be left out. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt left out? Because left out 
hurts, left out stings. Um, being left out kind of makes you doubt yourself because obviously you don't have what it takes to fit in. Now, if you feel left out and you don't fit in in a car club, that's one thing, but what if you don't feel like you fit in in a setting like this at church? What if you feel like you don't really fit in in general with God? What if you're kind of wondering, I don't even know if I'm going to fit in in heaven someday. Because really, maybe all you know at this point are all the jokes that you've heard up to this point, which involve St. Peter at a pearly gate, and you've got to be able to answer some kind of a question. And what if I don't know the answer to that question? Will I fit in? And maybe even if you're new hanging out here, maybe you've been to several churches before, but what, what does it take to fit in here? Is this one of those churches where you raise your hands or where you kind of stay quiet? What, every culture is kind of different. Have you noticed that? And there's, there's like, um, there's written and unwritten rules in fitting in in certain ways. Like when I was driving the Mini Cooper, the unwritten rule was if I saw another Mini Cooper coming towards me on the road, I would wave. We would wave to each other. Now, I learned that you don't wave when you see another Baptist at a liquor store. <laughs> okay? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, but see, there, there's just all of these things, and, and, and it can be kind of hard to keep up with. What are, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to say? And see... It could be that God is not a big deal to you because you never quite figured out how to fit in at church or even with a group of other Christian friends. And maybe you're not even interested in that kind of fitting in. Maybe you're to a point where you're just like, eh, no thanks. And you find yourself walking away. Well, what if I were to tell you that fitting in is not even the goal? What if, rather than fitting in, what if I told you that you belong? Because belonging is a gift that we receive. Fitting in is exhausting. But I believe that God wants us to know that we belong. And we're going to look at a story today um, that I, I especially chose this passage for a couple of reasons. One, it takes place on Resurrection Sunday. It took place the day that Jesus was raised from the grave. Um, but these two people did not believe in the resurrection. And I'm sure that there are some of you that are kind of like, yeah, okay, it's a great story, but really? I mean, three days in the grave, raised to life, nobody commented on the smell, something like that. You're, you know, you're just trying to figure out scientifically, is this even possible? Um, so I want us to, to look at this passage because it talks about two people who didn't believe in the resurrection. And it, those same two people were actually walking away from Jesus. They kind of walked away from the epicenter of their faith. And the tragic part of their story is they had actually learned how to fit in, but suddenly they struggled with belonging but before the end of the story, we're going to see how they had this deep sense of belonging. So again, fitting in isn't the goal. But I do hope that we have this keen sense of belonging. We, we could have guessed at how many people are going to be in attendance. We know how many people fit in this room. But it's not about how many people fit in this room. My prayer is 
that everyone walks out of here with a sense of belonging. That you realize that the creator of the universe says you and I, we belong together. So before we jump into this passage, in Luke 24, um, let's, uh, let's pause and pray. Father, I thank you that you are here. And we are here. And it's not just we're all in the same room. God, I pray that we would have this deep sense of connection and belonging with you. I know we come in here from all different points of, of this spectrum on our spiritual journeys. But I, I pray that you will multiply your word and it will speak to each of us right where we are. Thank you that you reach out to us wherever it is that we are to remind us that we belong with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So now before we read this passage, beginning in verse 13, I want to <clears throat> tell you what has been taking place in the week prior a week before was a day that we now refer to as Palm Sunday. There was a huge parade, a celebration that had taken place <clears throat> in Jerusalem. Um, as Jesus entered into that town on a donkey, people were, were shouting, Hosanna, salvation is here. This is our promised Messiah. Um, he is going to free us from this uh, political oppression of the Romans. He is going to set us free. Economic success, prosperity, all of this is going to take place. Um, yes, he was the Messiah. They did not know the way in which he was going to be the Messiah. The, the Messiah didn't come to, to deliver them from all suffering. He actually provided salvation through suffering. And this story that we're about to pick up in Luke 24, it would, it would be expected that these two people were probably at that parade just a week before. They were celebrating with everybody else. I wonder if they were still a little bit hoarse from all the cheering. Um, they knew how to fit in. They knew all the psalms that were being sung. They knew what the meaning was with laying the palm branches down. I'm telling you, they fit in in that parade but here they are feeling terribly empty on this particular Sunday, a week later. And we pick it up. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Now here's the deal. They were talking about this horrific event that had taken place, this unexpected event in their minds that had taken place on Friday. Just three days before Jesus' crucifixion, and they had heard about the resurrection, but they weren't buying it. They had heard that the tomb was empty, but that was kind of as far as their story went. And so they weren't really excited because they didn't understand really how this story was going to finish out. Have you ever been to a ball game, a baseball game, where your team came from behind and won in the bottom of the ninth? Isn't that awesome to watch your team do that? But isn't it horrible when you were the cynic who walked out in the eighth inning <laughs> and you missed what was an amazing comeback? Well, this is kind of what is going on here is these people, these, these two people had turned their back on Jerusalem and they were walking away. In other words, they missed Jesus' great comeback. They missed the bottom of the night, this coming back to life. And that's what this Easter story really was supposed to culminate in, but they were missing out on it. 
Verse 15, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And not, not too many people know this. I did some, uh, some study in the original Greek, and it's actually, Jesus was wearing uh, fake glasses with a big nose and a mustache. They had no idea who this guy was. Did you, were you aware of that? No, okay, good. Um, it's probably... Knowing that does not help you fit in, okay? That's, that's for sure. Um, Jesus himself came up and walked along with him, but they were kept from recognizing him. We don't know how this took place, but at this point, and I think this is really important to recognize that this conversation that is about to take place was not because they knew it was Jesus. They had not yet recognized Jesus in their, in their midst. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Which is really kind of a funny question to pose to the central figure of all that had happened. And then Jesus, this is so funny, he plays dumb. He goes, What things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are. Now, when Jesus says how foolish you are, it's not like we would say, use the word, you know, happy fool's day. Um, It's not a, a, like you are, it's not a derogatory term. It's basically saying, I'm sad for you because this hasn't been explained to you. You don't understand. You wouldn't call a young child a fool if they've never been taught something before. And so he's realizing, wow, these, these people just haven't gotten it yet because it, it hasn't been taught to them. So how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And something really amazing takes place here. Jesus created an environment in this dialogue where these guys felt comfortable enough, or a guy and a girl, we don't know. Um, he created an environment where they could be honest, where they could be authentic. It's only in places where we really feel safe and we belong that we can express our deepest moments of hopelessness and also our greatest joys. But here he has done this. um, He has created this place where even discouraged skeptics could voice how they felt. And as we're about to read, they, they turn the corner from doubters and skeptics to eventually say to Jesus, let's be together forever. I don't even want this to end. 
verse 28, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. I'd, I'd really kind of like to see this. Have you, ever, have you ever pulled up to pick somebody up in your car? You pulled up, and just as they're reaching for the handle, you go ahead and pull off again. You know how funny? I did that to Beth the other day. Well, yeah, I won't, I won't do that again. Yeah. Yeah. So Jesus... Jesus continues on, but they urged him strongly, don't miss this, stay with us for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over, so he went in to stay with them, stay with us. This word stay doesn't mean, you know, just kind of hang out with us over a cup of coffee. This word stay actually means to abide, to dwell. In other words, it's kind of like saying, welcome home. I want us to be together. And for that to never end. Let's be together. And the emphasis is on be. Being. Just be. We're going to together, but we're just going to be. When, um, when Beth and I were getting ready for our first date, well, I don't know what she was doing when, we were, when she was getting ready for our first date, but I knew what I was doing. That was, I was trying to figure out just the right restaurant and the right environment and the right kind of food and even thinking ahead to the right kind of conversation that I wanted to have so that a first date would lead to a second date. Um, the big part of a first date is to see if you're a good fit for each other. And so I'm trying to put my best foot forward in this. And so um, I had reservations at this restaurant, the Blue Water Grill in Kirkwood, Missouri. I pick her up, and uh, we have a, a great meal. Conversation is really good, and uh, needless to say, we, we got to go on a second date as well. Um, but here it is, 18-plus years later, and Beth and I still enjoy going to a really nice restaurant for good food, and we still enjoy stimulating conversation. But if we go to a restaurant and we have bad service or bad food, it's okay, because we belong together. And you know how on a, like on a first date, you don't want silence in your conversation? I mean, that's like death, you know? You just kind of look at each other and you just hear the clanking of a fork and you're already thinking, I'm going back on eHarmony. I know, this is what's gonna happen. Um, but you see, when you grow to a point where you realize that you belong, you can just be in each other's presence and even in the silence, you feel the strong connection. What is being described here is an invitation to be. In other words, I wanna hang out with you, but we're not gonna strive to figure out what it takes to fit in. I'm not gonna go through all that exhausting effort. I just want us to be together. And that's what Jesus wants with us. He wants us to know that belonging is a gift and he yearns, he longs to be with us. That's what belonging is. He, he has a longing to be with us. He wants us to have that same longing to be who God created us to be and to be okay in his presence. No matter how broken we are, maybe we're in a string of good days, it doesn't matter, it's, it's right here, just be. He wants to hear us calling out to him, stay with us. Let's be together. And keep in mind, at this time, they still didn't know who they were saying this to. We, um, we want to create those kind of environments here. 
where you can belong. You belong here. Um, Kristen and Kyle were talking about ways that students and, and children can belong in camps and different activities that take place during the week. Uh, we meet, uh, many of us do, in life groups. We gather together in smaller settings. Some of them meet on campus, some of them in people's homes, but it's a place where you can belong. In other words, you don't have to try and fit in. If you've had a bad week, you don't have to say, when somebody says, hey, how you doing? You don't have to put on this fake smile and go, hey, I'm doing great. No, you can belong. And you just be honest and say, you know, it's been a really rough week. And people embrace you and say, hey, stay with us. Even though this hasn't been the greatest week for you. Now, next Sunday, what I want us to do is we're going to look at this passage again, and, and there are so many rich principles of, of belonging and how we can belong to him and how we can create um, richer environments of belonging for the people around us. And these principles are going to be so practical for you. They, they will apply not just for life groups and at church, but they will apply in your home, with your friendships, even in your workplaces, where you can create environments of belonging where truth and authenticity can kind of rise to the surface. But for today, what I want us to realize is on this resurrection day, Jesus is alive and he is pursuing you. That's a key part of this passage. These guys are walking away. They're walking away from the center of their faith. They're walking away from Jesus, but apparently he can walk pretty fast. He pursues them. He catches up to them. And I want us to see how he longs to be together with us and we can overcome this struggle of, of fighting to fit in. Verse 27 says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So in other words, instead of just saying, you're a fool, in other words, you don't really understand everything, he takes the time to explain to them so they can have a greater understanding. And I don't know where he began with the writings of Moses, but maybe it was in that first opening chapter or two of Genesis where he explains that God created, but he created in order to be with. They were, Adam and Eve belonged with God. And then by the third chapter of Genesis, we see that sin had caused this separation but God pursued Adam, who was hiding at the time. God pursued him, asking him where he was, because Adam was not where he belonged. Adam belonged with God. And maybe he talked through some of the, the sacrifices that were made in the Old Testament and all those Levitical laws. And he kept on saying to them, um, these sacrifices were made on behalf of people who were separated from God. These sacrifices were done in order to bring people from where they don't belong to where they do belong. Because separation really is the opposite of belonging. When we sin, it's not you know, like God's like, oh, you blew it. It, it rips his heart because he's like, oh, I, I want us to be together. And he pursues us in friendship. I wonder if he quoted Isaiah 53. Can you imagine being there when Jesus himself says, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. 
But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. In verse 27 of Luke 24, it, uh, it does say that he was explaining to them all that had been said from the prophets and before, but the point was not so that they could just have all this head knowledge. It wasn't so that they could give the right answers. It wasn't because Jesus was realizing they flunked the test and they needed to retake it, so I better make sure that they have all the answers right this time. It says that he said all these things, revealed what was in the scriptures concerning himself. In other words, it's not about all this information and getting your facts straight. It's about a relationship, you and me together. You belong here. Kept coming back to this sense of belonging. The church culture that I was born into was one that at times I felt like I fit in. It was like in that movie theater where I was like, man, it is good to be surrounded I, with these people. I, I think I finally figured this out. But like I said, sometimes the rules changed. And to be honest, most of the time, I never felt good enough. I wanted to fit in, but sensed just an emptiness that there had to be more than just trying to fit in. On a beautiful fall day, um, I took a walk out in nature and felt just a real keen sense of God's presence, that I was not walking by myself. And it wasn't anything, you know, real eerie or anything like that. I didn't hear any voices. I didn't feel an actual hand. I just sensed that things were coming together the way they were supposed to be. In other words, I, I felt like I belonged right there. And it was almost like I was taking this walk and Jesus himself came up from behind and join me. So I'm walking in nature and I had a journal and a pen with me and jotted down what I was soaking up around me. And this is kind of how it, um, it rolled out. A chattering, babbling creek, stagnant, marshy pools teeming with tadpoles, coarse sand, weathered, smoothed stones, weeds, wildflowers, Random bursts of color smattered against a canvas of various shades of green. Butterflies, tall, sprawling trees, fallen trees, still dignified, noble, purposeful. Leaves whistling and rustling in the wind, spiraling in descent to the earth. Buoyant and carefree leaves drifting downstream. Thick brush, thin clouds, mostly blue skies, all this raw beauty and a car tire. I just remembered kind of looking at that as I was walking along. I was like, really? You know, it's the half-eaten apple abandoned in this hidden Eden. Almost perfect, close but not quite. Something is out of place. I suppose Jesus would have died for just one sinner in the world, just one misplaced tire in creation. God, I confess to you that I am that tire. I observe the beauty of the world around me, but
but I cannot overlook myself, worn, out of balance, tread-wearing thin, nestled halfway into the sand, but unable to hide completely. I'm a tire, and I'm tired. I'm tired of trying to blend in with created beauty, hoping I can keep up the image masquerade. All I can think to do is to take my tire self, my entire self, the self with the gaping hole in the middle, and drape myself on one of Jesus' outstretched arms on the cross. Thank you, Father. Now I belong. There is harmony between my true self and the glory of God. I belong in the beauty. I am redeemed. In that moment, I was not alone. I felt as though I belonged. A deep peace of being right where I needed to be. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I want you to experience that same sense of belonging. Let me pray for you. Father, I want to begin by saying thank you for pursuing us. Even when we are walking away, even if we've just thrown up our hands and quit trying to fit in, um, you come to us. Thank you for your unrelenting love that pursues us, not because we've earned it, not because we finally figured out what to say or do, but you pursue us because you know we belong with you. It's in your name I pray.